Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Thanks for listening to Creative Control. Uh, while I have you here, please consider supporting Youth Empowerment and Support Services, otherwise known as YES. Based in Edmonton, Alberta, YES provides immediate and low-barrier overnight and day shelter, temporary supportive housing, and individualized wraparound supports for young people aged 15 to 24. They work collaboratively within a network of care focused on the prevention of youth homelessness by providing youth with the necessary supports to stabilize their housing, improve their well-being, build life skills, connect with community, and avoid re-entry into homelessness. Learn more about how to donate or otherwise support YES by visiting YESS.org. Hey, this is Adam from Toronto, and I support Creative Control because Vish is full stop one of the best arts interviewers in Canada, or anywhere in the world, really. He approaches every episode like he's known the artist for years, creating a conversational atmosphere that gets straight to the heart of the work. No one else in podcasting gets it quite right like he does, with a mixture of meticulous research, wise artistic insights, and well-humored personal connections. I proudly support Vish and Creative Control on Patreon. You should, too. To make your flexible monthly donation to Creative Control, please visit patreon.com slash creativecontrol today. Alexis Fleissig and Scott McLeod are each musicians who met when they were kids growing up in Washington, D.C. As a young guitarist, McLeod recruited Fleissig, an aspiring drummer, to form a band, and eventually, along with singer and lyricist Bobby Sullivan and bassist Chris Thompson, they formed a band called Lunch Meat. Thompson was uh, replaced by Johnny Temple, and the solidified quartet worked under the name Soulside, releasing pioneering post-punk EPs and albums on labels like Discord and Sandwich Records between 1986 and 1989 when they split up. All but Sullivan eventually joined Eli Janney to form the more prominent band Girls Against Boys, 
But Soulside reconvened for special shows beginning in 2017, and in 2020 released a 7-inch of their first new music in some 30 years. On November 18th, 2022, Discord Records brings us a powerful new Soulside album called A Brief Moment in the Sun, which prompted me to connect with Alexis and Scott for a fun and frank talk about things like uh, how I may have brought Hot Snakes back together while interviewing Obits, which was another band Alexis was in, Life in Los Angeles and Vienna, respectively, how they each first got into music as fans and players, Keith Moon in The Who, and Iron Maiden's amp falling off of a truck, the rare lunch meat split single with the band Mission Impossible, which featured a 17-year-old drummer named Dave Grohl, how the Washington, D.C. music community inspired each other, and Soulside's apparent influence on Fugazi, how Sloan's Patrick Pentland is obsessed with a Soulside song called Other Side, Bobby Sullivan's politically-minded lyrics and interest in Rastafarianism, why Soulside is back and insights about their new album, upcoming tour dates, future plans, and much more. A part of the Entertainment One Network with the support of listeners like you who follow and subscribe to this podcast and spread the word about it, and make flexible monthly donations at patreon.com slash creativecontrol, which is the primary source of revenue for this show, with additional support from Blackbird Music, a well-stocked record store, locations in Edmonton and Calgary, Alberta, and very friendly staff who will happily help you look for whatever it is you need. Say you want to order the new Soulside album, A Brief Moment in the Sun. Well, you head over there to blackbird.ca and you type in what you want, or you email them, or you even you could call them, and they will help you get that Soulside record and whatever else you need. Again, go to their website to learn more, blackbird.ca. Plus, in-kind support from Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee, respectively, in Guelph, Ontario, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, Ontario. This is episode 732 of Creative Control, featuring the lovely and talented Alexis Fleissig and Scott McLeod of Soulside, with your host, me, Vish Khanna. Hey, Alexis, how's it going? Hi, Vish. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm well. It's nice to see you again. It's been a long time. I, we, last time I think we were in the same area it was probably, I think, in St. John's, Newfoundland, if not somewhere in Ontario, when you were playing in Obits. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Nice With the very drunk again. Rick Froberg. Yeah. <laughs> he was a little intoxicated. <laughs> yes, it's fair to say. There's video footage on the YouTube of uh, Rick having at her. Let's just say that. Uh, and can we say for yeah. the record that, that you're responsible probably for getting hot snakes back together? Well, because of that little conversation we had, I did prompt Rick to challenge John Reese to write new Hot Snake songs, and then that did happen. So, Alexis, thank you. I appreciate yeah, the credit. I think it. I think that's that's my memory. That's where it goes back to you. They haven't said that out loud to anyone else, so I don't know. But I uh, think I might have it on video. Actually, <laughs> it is available. We can. Everyone can find it on YouTube that this happened. But surely they were having their own conversations it wasn't just me but i appreciate that and uh, the citation if you will i thank you thank you alexis that means a lot sure. where in the where in the world are you today i'm in uh, california los angeles oh nice you've lived in los angeles for some time have you 
about four years now. Oh, where were you before then? I was in Texas, oh. uh, moving around a lot. I was in uh, New York, and then in Texas, and then now I'm here in L.A. Nice. How are things in L.A. going for you there, uh, living there? Good. We just need some water. Other than that, it's great. Water is essential. Um, yeah. It is a thing. If you would like, I can try to arrange an interview with someone and get that done. As you know, I have a history of getting people of to making do things. things happen. Yeah. 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 Also, yeah. you have water up where you are, right? So maybe you could share some of that. We do have water in Canada generally and uh, in Alberta for now. Uh, yeah. It seems to me as we're speaking, all the people in charge of things are trying to make everyone pay for them a little bit more than they used to. You know, like $8 for something or this or that. <laughs> sure. So sure. Uh, hopefully uh, the water, well, yeah, water, man, this is getting serious. That water thing is real. I'm sorry, you're having droughts and stuff? Is that what's going on? Yeah, we have some serious droughts, but apparently it's everywhere. I mean, everywhere in the world. Yeah. yeah. We're not in good shape. This is a horrible way to begin. I mean, it's a sad way yeah. to begin. It's the truth, but it's a, a hard way to begin. Uh, now, be- Scott has some water in Austria, I think. Yes. Uh, also joining us on the line, uh, Scott, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Hi. Nice, hi, nice to meet you, Scott. We've never interacted before, as far as I know. It's very nice to meet you. Uh, it's great to meet you. Uh, yes. And so, uh, Alexa says you're in Austria. Is that true? Uh, yes. I'm, I'm on the line here from Vienna, Austria, where I've lived now for about 13 years already. And we, I was listening to you guys. We do have water here, but it, a lot of water. Because there's a really big mountain range right near us. I forget what it's called in Austria, but but pretty big. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a lot of water coming from there, and you know. But but it is it is getting low. Even the Danube this year got so low that actually it uncovered some like sh- shuttle ships from World War II that were that were underwater and hadn't oh, no. been seen in 40 years. Or yes, I saw photos of that. Some of that were like Nazi. Uh, ships weren't they that were surfacing exactly yeah. they, they were scuttled i guess it had been boats that were scuttled meaning they were they were they were sunk yeah. and uh they just been sitting there in a graveyard for a long time and then there they are again so everybody, i mean yeah i mean the water thing is serious it's everywhere so i live in edmonton alberta and when we moved here uh we thought oh you know and in terms of climate stuff uh it shouldn't be so bad we're not we're inland we're not near the oceans mm-hmm. and then in the last couple of years uh, I saw footage of uh, Italy, and you're saying you got mountain ranges mm-hmm. there. Turns out the ice and the snow on top of the mountains is melting and flowing down the mountain and creating flooding, and I didn't even think of that. So I live right. where I live. There's, I mean, it's not right near us, but you're not too far from the mountains, and I'm now a little nervous about that. So I'm just a nervous Nelly, and water, you've got right. no water or you got too much water. Water is a problem. Is that what we're learning, Scott? Yeah, that's absolutely right. I mean, and you're right. Over here in Europe, there's been a lot of flooding in cities. Prague had a lot of issues yeah. with that. In Vienna, actually, they did something right, I don't know, a couple hundred years ago when they were planning. There's a lot of um, sort of spillage land, where, which is parks and stuff like that, swimming areas it's a, it's off the Danube. Yeah. And that planning never turned out well. So there's not much flooding in central Vienna, but you're right. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, just, it's difficult to manage in a lot of European cities. Yeah, it's a scary, scary time. But this, again, is not meant to be a scary, scary interview. It's meant to be a joyous interview. <laughs> I want about, uh, you know, something to celebrate here, the return of something. So I want to get in, I want to get into that. I alluded, uh, when I was chatting with Alexis there, I alluded to one of his other bands that I got to see a number of times, Obits. Uh, Scott, just for the record, uh, what are some other projects beyond Soulside, which we're going to discuss today? What are some of the bands you've been in 
uh, in some cases with Alexis, I'm gathering. But can you talk about some of the projects you've been involved in? Yeah, absolutely. After SoulSide, SoulSide existed in the, in the mid to late 80s. And then we stopped playing around 1990. And Alexis and I and Johnny from SoulSide joined our friend Eli to make uh, one of the band Girls Against Boys that we then played with through the 90s up into the early aughts or as, as you have it. And we still play occasionally. We had about a 10-year strong run. And then, you know, we still played occasionally after that. But there's Girls Against Boys. And I even played another group with Alexis, this more European bass called Paramount Styles. Mm-hmm. More of an acoustic kind of electroacoustic type type group. And, uh, yeah, that's, so those are the ones that are coming to mind now. But there's been a lot. No, no, that's fair. I uh, The last time I got to see Girls Against Boys, I believe... Was that the touch and go anniversary party? Does that make sense? Two thousand six or something like that. Were you makes guys sense. Six. Yeah. 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 Was that- it was in Chicago. And it was like in Chicago. a parking yep. lot by the yeah. hideout. Yeah. Yeah. That was great. No, it was nice to see you guys. That was a very monumental uh, few days for me uh, that I got to see, and uh, just wanted to say uh, it's nice to have you on the show. And thanks for all the work you've done in the <laughs> in the right, music thanks. and the arts and the culture. Yeah, both of you guys. Now, Great Alexis, similar question. Yeah, no, it's it's lovely to have you, Alexis. Just to follow up, uh, Scott mentions a few of the projects you've been in together. I mentioned Obits. Anything else you want to shout out right now before we move on in terms of uh, other? Yeah, uh, yeah, I I occasionally play with uh, ex Obits members uh, Savak. Um, which is a really great band. Yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, I also play in Bellini, which is. Uh, Italian Sicilian band uh, with Agostino Giovanna, who are known to many, or uh, I think, but um, they were in a band called Uzeda. And uh, anyway, Bellini has been—we've been not active for a while, but we played for you know many many years. Yeah, I loved uh, Uzeda, if I may. Loved all the Uzeda records. That uh, Uzeda yeah. Uzeda is long gone. Is that correct? No, they just put out a record. Uh, well, I think it was before the pandemic. Oh, but they're, okay. They put out a record. Uh, they three still years ago, I think, and they still play. It's very Augustino style. Yeah, it's like they kind of announce a show yeah, like they, three weeks before it happens. Like uh, they're like, we're playing. Yeah, now. they just played. Uh, they just played like three shows, and I think it was this year. Nice. Oh, I played. feel out of the loop. I guess I've missed. The, I don't. I get like Zeta used to put out records, I believe, on Touch and Go. I think that's probably where. Yes, I was. They, that's right. I think. Th- yeah. Was it Touch and Go or was it? I think this. I think this new one. God, you know, I think it might have been on temporary residence, possibly. Yeah, that's just it. When Touch and Go kind of, I've lost track of Touch and Go. For those who don't know, it's really, really, really slowed down uh, in terms of yeah. releases. And uh, to my knowledge, the I've gotten some Dirty Three re- reissues from them and Slint things and new Shellac albums, but it's pretty quiet. But uh, in any case, uh, yeah, I've lost. You know what? You've prompted me. I'm going to start googling Uzeda music. And finding it again Great. because I loved. I used to just love listening to their records. Anyway, yeah, their their new records really cool. And you're really and, and so in Canada, by the way, the name Bellini has a different connotation because of the kids in the hall. One of the auxiliary oh. troop members is Paul Bellini. Are you familiar with the kids in the hall, Alexis, at all? You, oh yeah, I love that. You know, show. The, yeah. you know yeah. the guy in the towel, the the naked. That's yeah. Paul Bellini. That's yeah. Paul Bellini. <laughs> so when I hear Bellini, I think of Paul Bellini. Yeah, that's right. Anyway, it's very lovely to have you both on the on the show, and it's, you've got this long history. And so before we get into this uh, wonderful new record, A Brief Moment in the Sun, I want to get into a little bit of your dynamics, your history together. I hope that will lead us into figuring out how things like lunch meat or soul side and all the other things uh, have sort of come about. Scott, do you have any sort of sense yeah. memory of when you first encountered uh, Alexis and where was it? What was the context? 
I do. It was in junior high school, actually, so a long, a long time ago. And I was very nerdy when I came into junior high school. For the first year, I didn't have many friends, but I saw what, what I thought were the cool people. You know, they would play ultimate frisbee and stuff like that. Alexis is one of the cool people. <laughs> but it took me till around eighth grade. I remember I finally played ultimate frisbee with the cool people in the yard there, and then I hung out with everybody on the hill. And I was like, man, you know, cool. I have friends now, and one of them was Alexis. Um, huh. I played guitar. He played drums. We started. We started really early on, around that time, jamming in. Are different basements playing classic rock covers, really Who covers Led Zeppelin stuff, mm. and that's where I met him. And in a way, after about a year of that, we met Bobby and Chris, Bobby Sullivan and Chris Thompson, yeah, in, in high school at this point, and formed our first punk band called Lunch Me. Right now, this is in all in Washington D.C. I'm gathering. Yeah, it's all in Washington. Okay, just yeah. just want to clarify that. Uh, Alexis, do you wish to uh, affirm or rebut any part of the historical <laughs> record that Scott has just cited? Um, no, that is that is I, I believe that is correct. Uh, I would check my records, but um, <laughs> I met Scott in junior high school, and um, he was from a different elementary school, which was uh, which was a huge problem. You know, you come from different elementary schools. Um, but he, we would, uh, we would play all the time. We, we would. Uh, I first learned to play drums when I went to one of a party at his house, and somebody had a drum set in his attic, and I was uh, smitten by the drum set. So then we would play very, very poorly for years, um, consistently playing the Who substitute. Which Scott, I just saw the Who at Hollywood Bowl two days ago. You're kidding! For the first time, I finally substitute? saw them. So full circle. Did, wow. Of course they didn't. They didn't play substitute. They did not play substitute. No. Ah, oh, see. Now, you were wow. probably out there with a big banner trying to substitute. Yeah, come on, substitute. Scott, Scott, <laughs> Scott, why did you speculate that they did not play one of their biggest hit songs, Substitute? Why did you, how did you know that? I don't, I guess I must be clairvoyant when it comes to the who. No, I don't know why. <laughs> I, just, I just figured that song is probably, it's probably not grandiose enough mm. now for like a huge arena setting. It probably doesn't like fit as well as, hmm. you know. As the, you know, only teenage wasteland. That's going to work everywhere. You know, yeah. it's going to work in a Yeah, I guess Bob O'Reilly would work. Uh, Alexis, did they play any er- yeah. early stuff at all? Did they play like they probably played My Generation or something? Nope, they didn't play that. Wow. They did, yeah, they did, they played. They went from Tommy to Quadrophenia. Uh, they did some Who's Next stuff and some. What's that record uh, by Numbers? Is it no, yeah, not yeah. by Numbers? Yeah, uh, the, who, the Who the, by the, Numbers. The, the one with the the one that was like after Who's Next. I think the first one without. Keith Moon. Oh, right. Yeah. What's that one called? I grew up loving The Who, uh, and then I don't know what happened. I feel like The Who started to get short shrift among some people as being something not as great as we thought. I thought they were amazing as a kid, like just watching the footage and and hearing the drums. I'm a drummer as well, so I I think of Keith Moon. uh, That's when I started to feel more like liberated when I would just try to do more fills. Something about it. I just felt like, oh, yeah, it's you important can... to do as many fills as possible. Well, I mean, then you're like, am I just showboating? <laughs> Is this really helping the song? What am I doing this? Like, because he just was all over the place in so many ways. But I, it was, it was pretty. When you could figure out how to do some of that stuff, uh, yeah. I found that very liberating. As a, oh, I can, I can kind of, I can't play like Keith Moon, but I can kind of do it. So I don't know if you had that, Alexis. Uh, 
Describe. Oh, I used to I used to practice to who's next all the time, and it took me years to realize that maybe I didn't need to do a fill on every <laughs> measure That's... and every bar. <laughs> yes, yes. Have you finally have you finally figured that out, Alex? No, no, I still haven't. I'm still learning it. <laughs> it's absolutely true, though. There's a bunch of drummers out there that are clearly like that. Must be okay. That guy did it, Keith Moon. So yeah. I'm just going right. to fill yeah. all over. And you this. didn't even do it in time. No, it was okay. I know so, somehow yeah. somehow it worked, but it's a really a lightning in a bottle there. I think because the, re- yeah, the rest yeah. of us are trying to do it and the, your whole other band's like yeah we're way off now thanks a lot glad you got to do that <laughs> Phil great yeah. and uh, you're like but, but Keith Moon, Moon, Moon did it and you're like but you're not you're Keith, not Moon. Keith like, Moon well but I'm trying yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay so Scott Alexis mentions the drums at a, at a part or at an attic at a party that's weird I have a sense of memory of that too going to a party in like uh, grade 8 and this kid Stuart had his drum kit set up and I took a, I tried it and that's the first inkling mm-hmm. where I'm like, Oh, I can kind of do this. Scott, do you have an inkling of right. when guitar, like playing guitar sort of entered your, your mind as a possibility for you? Yeah. I mean, it was around the time I was for a while. I was, I played like little league sports and things like that. And I remember pretty clearly there was a sudden shift. It was just getting into rock music um in the teen, in his early t- preteen teenage years it was like i was the kid like many of us you know stay up late at night my covers over my head listening to dc 101 and classic rock station in washington dc and this is before i knew that led zeppelin was a band and not a, the name of a person you know mm-hmm. i wasn't sure you know you're just kind of listening and fascinated with this stuff and and that kind of went from to be honest like probably jumping around my room with a using a tennis racket as a fake guitar oh that's what i did like pro- I did probably stuff yeah. like REO Speedwagon, things like that. Because ah. all those really, those songs were like REO Speedwagon was really geared towards preteen kids. I mean, when you yeah. think about it, it's all the, the love songs are kind of so ridiculous almost that they're almost creepy in a weird way. Yeah. They really kind of resonated with like this young kid's mind. Of like, what is, what is a romance? You know, what yeah. are these things right. that they're singing about? And so I would jump around doing that. And that kind of actually led towards maybe I should learn how to play guitar, which I which I did. And, and I started out, I had a few years of lessons, or maybe not even a few years, maybe a full year, where I learned, you know, Rolling Stone songs. I had a really good teacher, mm-hmm. I forget his name, who was up near our high school in um, Washington, D.C. And I learned kind of some of the basics, some ACDC stuff, who I love, Rolling Stones. Yeah, a whole bunch of Led Zeppelin, a whole bunch of things. So I kind of had like a collection of riffs, basically. Yeah. And my house in D.C. was where our bands, even Lunch Meet later and Soulside and everything, we practiced in my parents' basement. I see. Not not exclusively, but much of the time. And so that that house, my parents were kind of ultra liberal, very open. We had a pretty open house, so they didn't mind the punk rock kids coming over, oh, going great. to the basement. Yeah. My mom would tease them about their dyed hair and stuff like that and they, thank you mrs mcclellan you know i mean the, <laughs> my That's mom like Chris made me, <laughs> yeah my mom made me well bobby was the best bobby came over one day with like his hair totally bleached blonde and my mother was like oh bobby i love what you did with your hair and bobby said well, well my mom made me do it oh <laughs> wow it's just our house was that scott's, kind of house so scott's parents were incredibly incredibly supportive well, yeah. I think most of the rest of our parents were sort of like, when is this going to be over? His parents were very, very supportive. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I, and, I, I pick up on that, and I appreciate that. I uh, I also did the same thing as you, Scott. I would uh, My dad had records, 
And they weren't like amazing records. Uh, he had like a, I still, I brought them with me to Edmonton, uh, like a Dean Martin Christmas record I would put on and I would get a, a tennis yeah. racket and I would pretend, yeah. pretend to sing along and put on a little show for them. And they were, they would look, you know, at me with smiles right. on their face. And I'm not kidding. Uh, within weeks, I had tennis lessons. I, I clearly <laughs> wanted to play guitar and they misunderstood. <laughs> And I was, I was like, I'm like, where are we going? Wow, he really loves it's six tennis. O'clock. It's seven in the morning. Where are we going? And they're like, oh, we signed you up for, we saw, we saw what you were doing there. Put you in tennis lesson, son. I'm like, what? That's not what I wanted at all. I don't want to play tennis. Yeah. I don't want to play tennis. I want to play rock. I, it was so restrictive for me that the first drum kit, secondhand drum kit I bought, uh, I told my parents it was, I borrowed it. Like I brought it home. My friends and I brought it home in our, whatever car we ended up having. At 16, 17 years old. And I just, oh, it's my friend Ted's. This is Ted's drum kit. It's just going to stay here for several <laughs> years. And they were like, okay, as long as it's not yours. You, you never really finished those tennis lessons we signed you up for. So anyway, sorry, guys. I'm just telling you, yeah, it's great to have supportive parents. So, no, it's great. And I, I love this story because you guys uh, have been childhood friends and you've still uh, made music. You alluded to the fact, uh, or rather uh, Scott did, Soulside uh, ended in 1990, roughly. Can we talk a little bit about what was going on in D.C. at the time? Because for me, as someone who's studied and uh, really in love with sort of the Discord Records sort of scene, the D.C. community, I have a sense of what was going on around the time um, Soulside was coming about. Alexis, in your memory... Was something going on in the community in any sort of galvanized way that inspired the sound and approach of, I guess, both Lunch Meat and then eventually Soulside? Can you speak to that a little bit? Sure. I mean, I think that there are documentaries ad nauseum mm-hmm. at this point on on the Discord as uh, DC scene. But but for me, growing up, uh, you know, I was a classic rock kid. And then uh, listening to, like Scott, listening to Led Zeppelin and discovering that Led Zeppelin is actually not the name of a person. But when Scott came to me one time, he was like, we're going to start a band, listen to this tape. And the tape was full of Minor Threat and Scream and Marginal Man and all this music that I'd never heard of because I was always listening to, you know, the radio. Yes, yeah. And uh, it was like a lightning bolt to hear, you know, especially hear Minor Threat and Scream and, and you know, Marginal Man and, and then all these... Uh, British punk bands from, you know, like whatever, the Sex Pistols and Wire and stuff like that. Just stuff that I had never heard. And uh, this would have been in, what, 83 or something like that? Um, and then we just started going to shows. They would We would go to shows together down in D.C. And, and all of a sudden you discover there's this whole community of bands that was a, it was really a unique experience to have all these bands and friends who are all in the bands and super supportive and I think now it seems like an incredibly rare thing, but at the time it was just this community of people that whenever you played, people would come see you. And, you know, even if you were terrible for the most part, people would come and see you. And, uh, and it was just really supportive and really fun. And, and also I think, uh, there was this real excitement about the idea of, of having a band and then writing some songs. There's this whole, you know, goal thing where we would write songs and then we would go into a studio. That was incredible. And then we would play, you know, we would play at these two clubs, DC Space and 930 Club. So to play DC Space was amazing, but then to play 930 Club was was like incredible, mm-hmm. you know. And and then to go on tour was incredible. So there are all these like steps that we would take that were really really exciting and new for us, you know. 
Yeah, Alexis alluded to, uh, for those listening, I mean, Alexis alluded to some documentaries, uh, certainly Salad Days, Punk the Capital come to mind. I really enjoyed that Punk the Capital one that came out a couple of years ago, if I might say. Um, however, uh, what I want to go back to for just a moment, Alexis, is you had this tape that I think, did you say Scott gave you this tape with all these bands on it? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I assume the answer is obvious. Was it meaningfully for you, Alexis, to discover that a a lot of the bands were from your city? It wasn't just those British punk bands. Did that was that inspiring in some way? Yeah, absolutely. But all, but I think also the thing, and I think the thing that we found about touring and and there, you know there are all these fanzines and everything was that there's this whole network yeah. of of people out there, and so. You know, seven seven punk obviously is fairly different from the DC thing, but to know that there's these movements all over the world was was like it was like finding this sort of like secret secret code or something. Yeah, you know. Yeah. But to know that they were also you know just like blocks away from us, like you know, oh Ian lives like I lived in Georgetown for a little while and uh, or in Berleith and and uh, Ian lived like right up the street from me. I'm like, what? He lives right. <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> you know. Yeah, you're. So. And I appreciate what you're talking about. Is that what seemed like small little communities had this global interconnectedness that you would discover yeah. through zines at the time. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Scott, it sounds like from what, the way I just heard the story, you were the one saying, Alexis, we're going to be in a band together. You took on a little bit of a leadership role in trying to get people uh, together in, let's say, lunch meet. Is that a, is that a fair assessment? Well, well, my thing was kind of, I had a bunch of uh, friends in high school that were older than me at the hmm. time. This little kind of crew that would go to parties and stuff. And they all kind of graduated and I was playing this. I played in this little band with them called birds of prey before that. So we had like this kind of high school party band kind of thing. They were good. Classic, good band. classic rock covers. Yeah. Classic rock covers. And so we enjoyed doing that, but they all graduated from high school that I knew Alexis and we jammed together. And I remember it was a beginning of a new year. I think it might've been my senior year in high school or something. Yeah. I didn't have as many friends. And I, I knew these two kids in the school, Bobby Sullivan and Chris Thompson, they looked kind of like punk kids. So I just, I remember the opening, whatever ceremony of school, I sat right next to them. I said, Hey, you guys, why don't we, why don't we make a band together? I play guitar. I mean, people in the high school knew I played guitar because our band birds of prey would play in the high school. Oh, nice. Times. And they were like, kind of looking at me like, I don't know. Oh, well, I don't know. Cause I was like a classic rock guy. You know, they didn't, and so, but we just tried it out, and they're the ones that gave me the tape that I probably would have given. Oh, okay, there you Alexis. go. I see. Because Bobby's brother Mark Sullivan had been deeply involved in the in the really early punk rock scene in DC, one of the earliest bands, and so he was Bobby was really the kind of the conduit, I think, for all of us to to learn more about the scene that was happening locally. Like you said, it's a really good point. It's a totally different thing for a kid to be looking at a concert of Ozzy Osbourne or something and thinking, wow, I'd like to play rock music, but it's it's so unapproachable and so far, far away. Yeah. To go see this happening in your own city was just mind-blowing. To go, I remember Bobby took me to my first punk rock show, which was Scream, and it was in 930 Club, and I was just blown away because this was back when, you know, for a classic rock cover band, writing an original song was a huge deal. Yeah. Yeah. And this was seeing a band that was all original. So, you know, it was it was like, wow, this is it blew my mind too. So I was quickly I was I would not say I was a leader. I was more like just let's do something together. Yeah. Let's just try to make this work. Yeah. So, I think there was another transformative thing which was that 
you could be bad at your instrument and it was still cool. Like you could do right. really cool stuff by just hitting an E string or something like that. Mm-hmm. And and then we started being really, I think there was also this big frowning moment that we all had this sort of epiphany about how guitar solos and drum solos and all this stuff was just extraneous and unnecessary. Yeah. That it that mm-hmm. that it was just showing off, and it was it was like it became this whole punk rock thing versus this sort of glam rock thing. I think where it was yeah. like about about the emotion and the and the direct connection as opposed to just showing off your virtuosity. You know, I think right. what we're yeah. we're all talking about a little bit is sort of the humanization of this music because yeah, I grew up. Uh, I've told this sort of story a number of times on this show that I grew up. My cousin played me the Beatles when I was maybe six years old or something like that, and uh-huh. I got hooked. And when I got hooked on the Beatles, I would uh, it wasn't just the music. I because they were the Beatles, there were multiple books and right. documentaries, so I delved all in. And one of the one of the epiphanies I had was I was reading this book about the Beatles as a kid, and it said that uh, they were on a tour in Scandinavia or something, and Ringo had a stomachache and couldn't play. So they had to get someone to sub for him. And I was like, these superheroes get sick? How is this? I thought these were gods. Like, how could they even yeah, have yeah. any mortal concerns, you right. know? And <laughs> and so I think punk rock, for me, w- that was an epiphany. But then, that oh, these are just people. Like, they're just people. I knew they yeah. were. But they, you know what I mean? Like, you're listening to classic rock radio and you're trying to figure out if Led Zeppelin's a person or a band. Like, there's something alien about them. They seem like yeah. they're from another planet. Like, you couldn't possibly do it. Then you go see Scream. Then you get a tape like that. Then you start seeing shows. You're like, wait a minute. I can right. do this. Like, did Scott, did you right. have that a little bit? Absolutely. Yeah. It's, I would say it's even, it's even more than that. It's almost like an indoctrination. Once you're, once you're into it and start getting into it, it kind of evaporates everything else. Yeah. I mean, you, you're not thinking anymore about it. Sure, you're, you're, a lot of the music that was happening in the mainstream in the late 80s for us when we were doing Soul Side and stuff like that, Sure, it was on our periphery. We even listened to it. Sure, we listened to U2 and different things. But this wasn't what we were really interested in. Yeah. What we were really interested in was what was happening on our level. Yeah. In the, in the independent music scene, that was our – it just totally takes over your life. It's not, it's, it's not just a thing that's like, oh, I kind of jam with my friends once in a while. It's like it changes your whole perspective on everything. Yeah. I think you can really see it still today everywhere with – with with different scenes where people are like this is our scene like we made this this is our our kind of thing and it's super energizing to be part of something that you think is super special and just your own you know you see a lot of kids do that now which is which is really cool so yeah you know so it sounds like uh, various aspects of what we're going on uh, what was going on rather in DC and within let's say the Discord milieu uh, inspired you guys. Uh, can we talk a little bit about lunch meat? Lunch meat didn't uh, wasn't around as lunch meat for very long. Scott, is there just the one lunch meat release at this point? Uh, at this point, I don't think that's ha- nothing else is going to happen with lunch meat at this point. I don't think. I'm no, sorry. I don't, we, we actually I, I don't, some unre- there are some unreleased tracks. That are there? <laughs> okay. Yeah. It's funny you mention it because we're doing a huge re- a huge reunion a huge next year. Box set. Yeah. <laughs> lunch meat. It's got to come in a lunch box. I would think the exactly. lunch meat box set. Very, yeah. 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 No. Discord's sorry. Not happy. It's very expensive packaging. <laughs> sorry. Sorry, uh, Scott. Is, is, am I correct? Is, there weren't very many official lunch meat releases. Is that right? That's right. I mean, this was the very first band. So uh, the name kind of just happened as a, okay, whatever, whatever the name of the band is. We didn't think that we were just kind of just trying to hobble together some songs. Basically this one summer 
for this one school year before before we were graduating um, from high school and stuff. And we did record, I don't know, a bunch of songs, and only a few of them came out on a on a split seven inch. And then we were still we were followed our whatever the paths that we moved that in our whatever city or community we were kind of meant to do like okay going to college or trying to go to college trying to do that thing yeah and and we kind of did that but but the pull of the music scene in dc was so strong that every summer we come every every not even every summer every holiday break was like coming home what shows are happening jamming together again playing a show or whatever and even you know how time is when you're young even between the first summer and the set and the summer of 86 or whatever we changed the name of the band we were getting more serious about yeah. the band so we yeah. were like okay lunch me we don't like the name that much let's change it to soul side it just sounds better to us and we just started every step of the way was kind of incremental in these breaks that we'd take to go to school or whatever some of us would take time you know not go to school whatever but mm-hmm. we there were band breaks and every time we got back together we'd be going one step further in our seriousness about how we wanted to deal with the yeah, didn't we didn't we uh, put out the first record but change the name because Chris quit the band or am I misremembering that? No, because Chris Chris was in Soul Side at the beginning. Oh, he was okay. Right. Yeah, Chris okay. was in Soul Side. Yeah. 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 Just no, that wasn't lunch me. It was actually Chris's idea to make Soul Side, or I'm not sure whose idea it was, but I remember we did a we did one Soul Side record, and then it was later on that Chris and I, uh, Chris Thompson and I actually ended up going to the same university university of colorado at boulder i think i don't know what his case but in my case i had speaking of being in a classic rock party high school band i had pretty abysmal grades mm. um so so i couldn't like go to some fancy school the only kind of it's a public school um public university it was really yeah. good good education actually i yeah. don't go out there yeah um but it was also such a different place. I think Chris didn't really want to hang out there in Colorado too long. He came back sooner, and he ended up joining another band called Ignition from yeah. the scene. So it was the kind of thing. But, but it was like we're we're still going forward. So that next summer, when Chris left the band, we got Johnny Temple to mm-hmm. to to join it on bass, and we just kept going. We was right where we left off. You know, we were very. We had a lot of momentum. We were serious about what we were doing. Yeah. Before we move on to th- this period, I just want to ask uh, one quick question, Alexis. That's Lunch meets with uh, seven inches with a band called Mission Impossible. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. We did a split seven inch with Mission Impossible, which which had two releases actually. So uh, we reissued it with a different cover. I'm not sure why we did that. Right. Um, but but it's pretty cool. It's like I think it's 500 copies of each or 1,000 copies of each or something like that. And Mission Impossible was a fantastic band, um, and of course. Uh, their drummer was Dave Grohl, but I mean, he he was a remarkable drummer. I remember watching him in, in his ascent when he got into Scream. We we're like, ah, oh, he made it. He's in Scream <laughs> now, you know. And uh, but he was incredible to watch. But but Mission Impossible was just a great great band. They were really really cool. Like they were. Uh, I don't know if you ever heard this Alive and Kicking Seven Inch or is that? Are they, yeah, they're on that. They have a bunch of. They just they were a great band. So. I have to do some research on Mission Impossible. Uh, I don't know if I encounter them in my uh, youth or something, and then they've escaped my brain, uh, my mind. But, uh, yeah, I was intrigued to uh, recollect that uh, uh, Dave Grohl was in that band, and you guys had, that's got to be one of his earliest uh, appearances on record, I would think, and I imagine that makes the 7-inch hard to find or, or valuable, if you will. Yeah, it is. I, yeah. I have one. Yeah. I was looking it up a, a few years ago. Yes. 
that's definitely ridiculous enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's a, for what it is. I mean, it's it's a Xerox paper cover in a plastic bag, you know, yeah. the thing, that, which is, but also we were learning all those things too with those, with that first seven inch and the early, and those early records, we were learning more. I mean, this was more than, it was like, we didn't send our stuff to a big company and they make the record back to us. This was like, we're actually physically making our own. I mean, we didn't press it ourselves, but all the artwork we're, we're getting together to have pizzas and like insert the inserts and put all the stuff together. And then we'd sell it, you know? So each, each, each piece that we had seemed to us at that time, is like just so unbelievably important. <laughs> you know, you have 500 copies of a record that you're on. You know, it's just, it's, it's just, it's just yeah. felt amazing. Yeah, absolutely. And and forgive me if I'm getting this wrong. Maybe, Alexis, you would know. Uh, was the 7-inch on Samich Records, Amanda McKay's label, or is that wrong? I think it was it's a half half ish, a half ish release, right? Half Samich, half Discord? Is that, oh, is, is that that, that one? Scott? Okay. Or or was maybe that was the first record. That was the was first record, yeah. Sorry if I'm misspeaking, maybe Scott. The first, you're yeah. right. The 7-inch is just, just Samich. Samich, yeah, okay. Yeah. So. And again, that's a, that was Amanda McKay's record yes. label, I believe. Yeah, I think it was... Amanda and Eli, actually. Oh, Eli Jane. Oh, was it? I don't know. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. There you go. All right. I, I never just, knew that. I see. We're I learning was, things. I thought it was Amanda and Eli doing it. We have to fact check. I, I suspected this would happen fact as check. soon as we started the call. We have to fact check everything <laughs> Alexis says. It might yes. be a little blurry. No, no. I, 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 I trust you, Alexis. I think that's probably true. Can that we? was when Scott was playing with Ozzy Osbourne. Remember that, Scott? Right. I mean, were, Don't watch. No. Do not watch Alexis's YouTube channel. There's nothing in it that's true. Nothing in it that's true. You didn't collaborate with the Ozzy Osbourne, did you, Scott? Somehow, did that happen? Who knows? He no, went, it was Randy. It was, it was only Randy Rose. Okay, hard just work. making sure. Just making sure. Now, uh, I will say, just as a weird connection, that Scott uh, Scott's amp for Soulside. Uh, he had a he has a he had a t- dual Marshall like a two cabinet Marshall with a JCM eight hundred head and one of the cabinets apparently fell off the truck of was it Judas Priest Scott or Def Leppard Def Leppard oh no wow. I thought it was Iron no, Maiden no I, thought, no I think it's I think Iron sorry it was, it was Iron Maiden yeah yeah Iron Maiden what what do you mean it, so truck. that thing sounded it still sounds great I don't understand how could it fall off a truck how. How, tell you got to tell I, us. It fell off a truck, see, and then how did you end up with it? Were you t- trailing the truck? Was no, this? No, I think this was just someone's sales. <laughs> this was. I went to a shop, and it was someone's sales pitch to oh. me as, as a kid. You know, they were like, "You should buy this amp." I was like, "Checking out." Well, I don't know. Like, you know, it's an Iron Maiden amp. You, know, you, should, try, you should really buy it. I was like, it didn't so, I was like that doesn't oh. change anything. It's, Weird. I mean, <laughs> but anyway, I, yeah, I, I would have that a lot when you're when you're buying equipment. People would say, you know, this amp's been over to Europe or whatever. Like, uh, so is that supposed to make it better? I would think if someone tells you this this amp belonged to Iron Maiden, it's a thousand dollars. You go really, and what's the history? They're like, well, it fell off a truck, and then you say, all right, if it fell off a truck, I'll give you three hundred. Then I don't want to give you a thousand dollars for an amp that fell off a truck. That would be my. Well, that is what I did. Okay, that that is what I did. I I got a (laughs) lower. I I got a lower price, but but yeah, I I guess what I kind of figured was that something had happened with Iron Maiden, and you know, a big band like that. I guess they were on tour. Instead of even checking stuff out, they just got a whole new backline. I see. Or, you know, okay. And so they had all this stuff. It's kind of like refurbished or something. Yeah, right. it, it sounded fun. Refurbished it sounds great. Fell off a truck. Refurbished is a different kind of refurbishment, <laughs> I think. But whatever, that's fine. We haven't uh, because he's not here. I'm curious about uh, your your guys's perspective on Bobby as a singer uh, and a lyricist. Let's talk about that a little bit in terms of whether or not. You guys had any conversations together about maybe what this band was going to convey lyrically, you know, what 
Because often the the singer and the lyrics and they're what kind of the band stands for beyond all the music, I would say, on some level. I don't think what I'm saying mm-hmm. is that controversial. Um, Alexis, what is your perspective on Bobby's writing and and performance? Uh, let's go back to the beginning uh, in that time period when Soulside was active. And then let's, uh, I hope by doing this, we can come full circle to this uh, great new record. Can you characterize uh, Bobby as a as a lead uh, vocalist and lyricist in your band? Sure. Uh, you know, it's one of those things when we started, like Bobby, Bobby hadn't sung. Did Bobby sing anywhere else, Scott? Did he, was he like he, in a choir or something like that? Or I think he wasn't, I think he wasn't a choir. So I think that's yeah. why he was, he was kind of elected to be the singer because oh. he had some singing experience. I think at that point we, we all were starting basically from zero. Like I, I was a terrible drummer. Scott was a pretty good guitar player. Pretty good. Was, pretty, pretty good. What I mean, you? pretty good. <laughs> Old wounds. Old wounds because I mean, resurfacing here. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cause any I problems. Mean, <laughs> Scott probably Scott probably learned most of his guitar from that drug dealer I brought home from my gallery. Um, <laughs> that's an inside joke. Um, yeah, but, I, uh, I realized that because uh, I, I realized that because I didn't get it, but that's fine. I uh, that's fine. No, that, I get it. Sorry, Chris, you were saying. Uh, Chris was, you know, he was a, a you know, a bass player. We were, we were all basically <laughs> learning as we were going, which was great. Yeah. So, and Scott uh, and and Bobby was, uh, you know, I think at that time we were, we were all very politically motivated, and we're all children of of government employees, and you know, DC is a very political city. Um, and so that was a lot of our motivation. And I think Bobby really uh, got into that really well. I think he, you know, his, he was, you know, dealing with, we were all dealing with various issues, like not dealing with them directly, but, you know, thinking about them was, you know, apartheid at the time. There was veganism or vegetarianism. There was inequality in, in cities and everywhere. And so uh, Bobby, I think, really was able to encapsulate that really well in his lyrics and, and also just growing up and, you know, changing, you know, going through changes and everything as a 17-year-old and 18-year-old. And, and I think Chris wrote some lyrics, too, which were also very cool. Yeah. Uh, and, and and Scott did, too. So everybody sort of contributed. Um, but Bobby, Bobby was great. And he's a, he was a really fun front man. I mean, we were all very, very slender at the time. So we were all able to take our shirts off immediately when we played and show off our Adonis-like physiques. And <laughs> well, that's uh, that's Im- that's important for a young person to be able to yes. feel confident yes. doing that. I suppose. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, no, we still we we still do that. Oh, you, you, you should. Why not? Who cares? Yeah, exactly. I, I, yeah, that's exactly true. Scott, similar kind of question. What's your take on Bobby as uh, a lead voice, if you will? Uh, in the work you did together as in, in Soulside and continue to do together. Like Alexis said, I think that um, for, for Bobby and for all of us, I kind of felt like I watched Bobby kind of, you know, we, we watched each other grow up in the punk rock scene. So I think that in the beginning, we were younger teenagers and it was just like playing and fun and everything. And as, you know, this was the 80s. So this was like Reaganomics. This was like, this was also, you know, mutual assured destruction. This was, this was nukes. This was like this thing. And as you're in the punk rock scene, you also seeing that a lot of the music in those scenes is addressing some of these things or at least yeah. talking about these issues. And I remember seeing Bobby and all of us getting like galvanized into a lot of these issues as we were getting more and more deeply involved in the punk rock scene in DC and in touring. We started touring a lot more in the United States. 
playing in Gilman Street in San Francisco, a lot of these different scenes. And back then, you know, each scene kind of had almost sometimes it's different flavor of punk rock in a way. There was like a Chicago kind of sound, it was kind of Berkeley thing. Yeah. And so there was all these ideas floating around. And I kind of watched Bobby and our, and all of us, but Bobby in particular, as he's the lead singer, I watched his like lyrics really mature basically quite rapidly yeah. into, into really wanting to have music that had a kind of social message in the music. And it became very important for him very quickly. When did, uh, I know from what I understand, Bobby became immersed, uh, is immersed rather in Rastafarianism. Uh, I believe Mm -hmm. that's the case. He's published a book, in fact, uh, about his experiences and perspectives on that, uh, as I recall. Um, Alexis, Mm -hmm. was was that prominent in in the early part of uh, this band or did, did that come later? I think Johnny and Johnny and Bob uh, Johnny and Bobby used to work at Ross Records in in uh, DC, which was a that was Doctor No's label, right, Scott? I don't remember whose label it was, but it was a, it was a reggae reggae label. It was a reggae label, so they they were pretty heavily into the reggae scene, and they they actually met a lot of the artists because they would come, you know, with their records, they would come tour and stuff like that. So they were they were pretty into that scene from pretty pretty much in the beginning i think yeah so not just yeah, but so not just the music philosophically socioculturally like there are references to it on the new album uh yeah, for yeah. sure and so i wonder if you pick up sorry the one other the, the, where i'm coming from is i just had a a, a band on the show uh, a long running band from canada called sloan and one, oh, yeah. one of the members of sloan patrick pentland has become somewhat fixated on one, on a soul side song called Other Side. And he, re- he references this concept, what he views as a concept, frequently. He's got a song called Other Side. There's two, at least two or three, two songs on his, on the latest Sloan album that reference this Other Side idea. Uh, I, I, this is a bit vague and I apologize to put you on the spot and focus on one potentially random song from your past. Yeah. But, does Scott? Does that song stick out for you guys in any particular way? Because I've been fascinated by Patrick's. Like, that's the song. Like, this is the song that has impacted me. Does that res- does that resonate with you in any way? It does. I mean, I think I think for for Soul Side, the song "Other Side" was one of our. I'd say before the Hot Body Gram record, it, that kind of changed everything. But "Other Side" kind of represented one of the standout tracks that we had in terms of. It's meaning and everything. Bobby's lyrical stuff that was, as I said, getting more and more you know mature, more and more interesting as we as we all were in the playing and stuff. That song really kind of pulled everything together that that Soulside had as a band, yeah. like as a full package. I think okay. that was kind of a demonstration of like this is this is what Soulside sounds like in terms of its sort um, of now that kind of. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but in terms of its <laughs> lyrical meaning, is there anything you could say? Lyrics and the, lyrics and the music. I mean, I find the other side. Um, it's kind of a I suppose you, some of the lyrics, maybe you'd say it's even like an early emo type thing, or it's kind of um, relates to that a little bit. But there's a funkierness to it that also is kind of kind of leaning in a kind of Fugazi-ish direction that's coming at some point, which we played with a lot, kind of funky drums instead of just punk rock drums. Like we were never a hardcore band yeah. in like the hardcore musical form. Yeah. We toured that circuit, but we were kind of just a, a punk or post-punk kind of band hardcore we kind of touched a little bit but it really we weren't really a hardcore band and 
I think Other Side kind of demonstrates that. It's a punky song, but it's got some funkiness and some breaks. And, and it's it's kind of like one of Bobby's standout songs, like, you know, about breaking through these social barriers and boundaries that he has seen and that he has now continued to study throughout his life. So it's kind of fascinating. And it also alludes back to the time we were growing up in D.C. Mm-hmm. This thing is racial segregation, so many things happening in D.C., the crack epi- epidemic, so many things that were like, you know, find the other side of your of your life, I guess. And I think that song was just a powerful. Yeah, it, it seems to. I appreciate that context for it. It's and like I say, it's still resonating with at least one person I've had on the show recently. Alexis, did you have any take on that particular song or Bobby's mentality at the time? Also, I will say, like, yeah, the I feel like you guys seem to me anyway to have been ahead of the curve with this sort of amalgam of funk and reggae and punk that a lot of us, the early Fugazi period seems to have been um, uh, influenced by that as well. So I don't know if you want to, you were crediting me earlier for the hot snake stuff. I don't want to put too much on you here, but do you feel like Soulside <laughs> was starting to impact the uh, the work of peers like Fugazi or anything like that? Oh yeah, abso- absolutely. Yeah, I because, think yeah. <laughs> oh, you're talking about no, 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 it's okay, Scott. We've got an emphatic absolutely from Scott. So this is Okay, I was just going to tell you. Absolutely, because back back to the neighborhood thing, my parents' basement was on Quesada Street in Washington, D.C. and Northwest, and Dee Pachodo lived just catty-corner to me in his in his house. So Soulside would practice in our basement, and Fugazi would sometimes practice in his oh, basement. I and I know those guys were. Those guys were sneaking over. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, they were. I remember looking in the bushes, and there was like he and Brendan in the bushes, like listening and writing, taking notes and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> That's... But, but I do think, uh, like, when we played, apparently, uh, uh, we played Chevy Chase Community Center a few times, which was a great, was a great place to play in D.C. It was like this, you know, community center, and uh, I think that. Uh, Brian Baker came and saw us and he was like, I can do that. I, I think we, we were inspiring for Dagnasty. At least that's the yeah, story I heard. Yeah, yeah. Uh, really? That's cool. I, I'm, I can and, hear uh, it is all I'm getting at. Uh, the more I've been obviously more rather immersed in Soulside's world uh, in, in the lead up to this conversation. And I'm like, oh yeah, just based on the chronology, I'm like, okay, I can see how, again, I view Discord and I just had this conversation with Alec Mackay uh, recently on the show where I'm like, I, it's the discord thing is unbelievable to me because it does seem like you can hear how people were influencing each other in their bands. You can hear Definitely. how eras yeah. uh, like sounds are, are particular to particular eras, but everyone was kind of trying to figure out their own lane with an approach or a sound or, a, or, or things they want to talk about. So I would say, and I don't know how you two feel about this, that perhaps soul side is, a key, if unheralded, uh, focal point for what came uh, after. And and that's what I'm getting at. I just want to say that even hearing how Bobby sings, his approach to things, the way you guys play together, I hear it. That's all I'm getting at. I don't mean to overflatter you. I don't mean mm-hmm. to say anything ahistorical <laughs> or wrong, uh, but, right. but I feel like this is probably the truth. We've already got an emphatic absolutely mm-hmm. from Scott. Alexis, will you go on the record and take credit for the achievements of Soulside on this podcast, <laughs> for for, the, for our own achievements, yes. I will go on record to say that Soulside achieved what we achieved absolutely. <laughs> um, but uh, in terms of uh, in terms of influencing other bands, I mean, I hope we did. I, I know that we were very influenced by other bands, and I think we did influence other bands. But we, the things that we were listening to, and I think a lot of people were listening to, but maybe we took them in a certain way, was 
you know, that Bobby and Johnny were really into reggae. I mean, I think we all were, we all liked reggae a lot. I was really into rap. Um, we were also listening to a lot of uh, DC Go-Go mm-hmm. was a, was a big thing. And then of course, hardcore and, uh, and then 70, 77 punk stuff was all kind of in this soup that we were all listening to. You know, I think Wire was a hugely uh, important band for everybody in DC. Yeah. Uh, so that was a big influence. You can hear that. I guess that would be considered what post-punk, uh, if if you want to go by a genre signifier. But DC Go Go, for those who don't know, yeah. Alexis, that is some amalgam of funk and soul and sort of party, like some sort of exuberant music. Is that a fair way of putting it? Yeah, and I think it's uniquely DC. Yeah, uh, it's pretty pretty cool. Yeah, thing. And, yeah, and you could see all of the hardcore post-hardcore bands start to adopt aspects of DC Go-Go in their live shows in particular, if, if I think on it. The energy level seems to have come up and it seemed to be more inclusive. Like, let's, we're, yeah. it's not, uh, sorry, some of the Discord, uh, the narrative around Discord is that it was, it's wrong, I believe it's completely false, but it was this serious, self-serious sort of dogmatic, and, and you're like, if you watch any footage, clearly it's people experiencing something together, together joyously right. and and feeling yeah. the hope and the potential of what the ideas were in that room that's my take on it and that's what i took from it sorry to go on a little rant but i'm just saying that's i can see where soul side fits into that too like singing about hopeful things and change but not in a like uh, scolding mm-hmm. way is where I, I i think things are coming from right so hopefully my yeah. understanding right. is that the band uh, ended uh as things end when uh, teenagers become uh, start to enter adulthood uh, and, uh, and uh, Scott I, I don't want to put words in your mouth but I think school stuff happened uh, and then people are coming back from mm-hmm. school and trying to figure out whether they wanted to have careers or keep going to school around that mm-hmm. time Soulside that, that formative period for all of you around the same age is that why Soulside kind of ceased when it did uh, just that mix of life changes yeah I think in my recollection, you know, we had actually all been going to school and taking breaks off and th- and uh, to do the band. And actually around, it was like around 1989 or 88, actually, we really took a full year off. Yeah. I mean, meaning, and we were really, really active, touring all the time. We were writing songs uh, and we got invited to tour in Europe when we were out of Gilman Street. We met some people from this label called Concurrence from Netherlands, which had done a bunch of stuff with DC bands. We got invited to tour in Europe, so we did that. And I remember talking to Hetty Schwartz, the person who was running it on the telephone. You know, all these things were back on a telephone. She'd yeah, like, yeah, oh, you course. want to tour Europe? Yeah. Call yeah. me up. <laughs> so I called her up, and she'd be like, oh, you guys still want to tour Europe? I'm like, yeah. Well, she's like, how long do you want it to be? I just said, as long as you can make it. You know, It turned out to be like three months. Oh, it was wow. a really, really long, long tour. And we wrote a lot of the, not all of it, but some of the music for our, the last record that we did, Hot Bodygram, during that tour. And it was a pretty grueling tour. Mm-hmm. We were really focused and committed to the to the music and things. But as you were saying, too, I think we were just at that age where I think that we were starting to just having different thoughts about artistic things. Like I was, I, I was going to move to New York after the tour, and I did move to New York after the tour and go to film school. And I wasn't even really thinking about doing music after that at that point. I mean, it felt like going to Europe was like a huge pinnacle for what our band could achieve at that time. Because yeah. this is also still, 
you're going around and around and around at Green Bay and all these great places to play punk shows, but and the shows are getting a little bit bigger, but nothing's really changing that much. I mean, you're still living in a van, you know, eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Yeah. And it's kind of like, it's kind of like, you know, okay, even though you're very young, you feel like an adult when you're 22 or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, so, so you kind of feel like, okay, maybe I'm done with this for a while. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of how it felt to me. I think externally, it can be telling when a core group of a band leaves and starts playing with someone else. Alexis, we had, uh, we, we, I guess the world who followed Obits <laughs> had this experience when uh, Rick uh, Froberg decided he didn't want to play anymore. The th- three of the members, I think, ended up being in a new band called Savak. I think that's accurate, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I don't know if Alexis, you're the, some sort of universe focal point around this idea of <laughs> one person leaves or you, you don't want to play with them anymore. So the three of you play with another. But uh, I, what I'm getting at, obviously, Alexis, is uh, you, Scott, Johnny, Soulside stops, but you end up playing in a new band together still with Eli. Uh, that's Girls Against Boys. So, Justin, I don't mean to bring up uh, old business, but was there some friction between the three of you and Bobby? Or like, w- what was the parting at that point? And, you know, eventually and very soon we're going to get to why you're back together, I hope, as well. But um, can we just hit up on that? Because, sure. like I say, just yeah. narratively, narratively, it's curious that three of you continued would keep playing and, and be like, peanut butter and jelly is fine for the three of us. That's okay. <laughs> and to put salt in the but... wound, uh, Scott, Johnny, and I played in a band with Mike Fellows from Rights to Spring, Happy Go Licky, for a little while. Uh, oh, that's right. Of course. Ba- yes, a yes, song yes, called yes. Little Baby, which, by the way, is now number one chart-topping band, uh, rapper, I guess. Um, <laughs> that's right. Little Baby, yeah. yes. Controversial. Yeah, so, Controversial so rapper, we're, yes. We're, yeah. you know, we're waiting for that settlement for because we had the name first. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but we did that for a little while, and then we started doing uh, Girls Against Boys. Uh, and that was a project that Scott and Eli had started. And so they had done some really cool stuff that was – because you know everything was shifting, we were we were getting more into stuff like uh, uh, ministry and and uh, uh, skinny puppy and and uh, Tom Waits and stuff like our our focus was shifting a lot to non very sort of very non punk stuff. Um, mm-hmm. So Scott and Eli started this sort of it was like more of a kind of a dance project, and then we went in mm-hmm. and started. Uh, Johnny and I joined them for the second half of that record for the for the remaining three songs on that record that we recorded much later. I think it was about four years between the first recording and the second recording. Right, Scott? Mm-hmm. Uh, for um, Girls Guys Boys. Yeah. 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 But yeah, I would say that there was there was like a lot of friction between all of us, and I think that 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 three month mm-hmm. tour, like we had we had grown up a lot, and I you know from from you know for the five years or whatever. And I think that we were starting to feel the political angle of it was starting to feel kind of restrictive. And mm. uh, I think on top of it, having a three month tour was just was really hard to do. It was just really hard to, you know, be in, in a small van with the four same people for, you know, for th- three months or whatever. So by, by the th- I think by the time we got back, we were like, all right, <laughs> this, is, yeah. this is enough. <laughs> yeah. yeah, fair. I, I get it. I, I, I don't. Uh... Imagine there's much more to say on, on that aspect of things uh, because it's water under the bridge mm-hmm. and you seem to have overcome whatever uh, was going on uh, almost 30 or 30 odd years ago. Yes. Good work on that, by the way. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. good. Scott, can we talk a little bit about why Soulside is back 
And uh, and within that, can we talk a little bit about uh, what you make objectively of this new record you made together? Um, maybe what's changed about the band? These sorts of things. Let's begin with why. Why are you guys back together? Do you think, Scott? I think it's. I think it also. I think it happened gradually. Soulside getting back together. I think that in a strange way, it kind of began like that. We we played. There was the we mentioned some documentary movies that came out. Salad Days came. The movie Salad Days came out about DC, and it was kind of a moment when we'd all been talking and thought, oh, maybe we should we could reform and play the kind of party for that show, which we did in DC, mm-hmm. and we just did that a few times and really just felt this connection between us all was still just as strong as ever. And just being together was, was and playing this music again, actually felt, you know, it felt really, it was very interesting for me because over the time with girls against boys, I started using more like guitar pedals and different things like that. And this was like going back to like a really physical form of, of playing guitar, which I actually found that I hadn't done in so long. I really enjoyed, it took me a while to, get back in that space so many things kind of artistic things started to gel and the friendships definitely were still still strong and then the pandemic happened and it was really johnny who who was kind of instrumental in saying like hey guys let's like let's jam on some songs just virtually we started sending ideas to each other and it just exploded basically and and I remember when we were started doing that, I heard Bobby singing and stuff on the new stuff. We'd, we'd done a few songs before, but uh, we did a set seven inch before this new album came out. So yeah. that was already there. Like I felt like Bobby's singing was phenomenal and so cool to hear it again. And But even in the writing process of this record, I was really blown away by all of our musical ability that we've had for years. But it's it's sort of, we still lock in together and like, Bobby's singing on this record totally blew me away. Both the content yeah. and the the content, the emotive nature of it, and how timely it is. It just like it just started all flowing together in a very exciting way. Very, very um, sort of uh, poetic. I mean, I know that's a obvious thing to say about uh, lyricism, uh, mm-hmm. but it does. He does seem to be in a good space uh, yeah. as a writer. I find. Uh, again, singing outspoken songs, but with such a empowering and hopeful tone mm-hmm. um, that I find, uh, like you say, I think it's quite necessary right now. Mm-hmm. The anger is there, but I can hear the kind of resolve as well. So that's mm-hmm. that's just my take on it. Um, Alexis, sort of similar questions. Do you want to talk a little bit about uh, whether you feel this the sound of the band has changed radically from when you were younger and last yeah. playing together and within that also uh can you speak to what scott and i were just discussing about uh where bobby might be coming from from your take from your perspective rather sure uh yeah i mean i, I would say just just for me uh the hot body gram experience for me was was pretty it was pretty meaningful and i i continue to think of those experiences being in europe and recording that record as 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 super meaningful to me and I was I was pretty nervous to touch that again because I didn't want it to suck, basically. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. But it, it yeah it was the same. We we did these shows with Bobby, and it was really good to see Bobby. I haven't seen him in a long time, and you know I've known Bobby since I was in second grade. And just to to play you know just to mess around, play some stuff, and just have it sound it sounds cool, you know, and yeah. to, to push on with that. And 
lyrically, I think Bobby's done an amazing job. I mean, I think there's a combination of, of both a lot of very political stuff and a lot of uh, very emotional stuff that definitely resonates with his his experience, which I think is really cool. Yeah. Um, his his experiences that he's just going through in life, you know, with yeah. relationships and stuff like that, which is great. But I, I'm also, you know, like we're, we're fairly politically minded bunch of people and it's been a pretty wild ride for our lives, but definitely for the past six or so years, it's been pretty, pretty wild. So it's, I I think it's refreshing to, to, to go back and approach, you know, music with this sort of in this way. I think this is the way that Soulside was. We were, you know, it was Reaganism and all sorts of things that were going on politically at the time. And I, I think it was, it was good to speak out about those things. And I think it's good to speak out about them now. And I think, I think it's important. Yep. So um, yeah. I'm, I'm happy that Bobby is willing to take on that. It's a, you know, it's a tough, it's a tough thing to be taken on. And, and Bobby yeah. happens to be willing to be the lightning rod for that, which is, yeah. is pretty bold, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And then for those who uh, dig into the record, you will hear that contemporary resonance, I think, but there's a lot of history and historical precedent that he's kind of using to inform his own personal take on things. And I think they are very personal lyrics, as much yeah. as we're talking about how he's dealing with sort of universal experiences, both mm-hmm. from the, let's say, the past six years. But like I say, I think he's, as I alluded to earlier, I think he's also using his experience with Rastafarianism to try to make sense of what's hap- happening right now and, and mm-hmm. how people are behaving. So it's really, a, I would say, a rich and textured mm-hmm. uh, display of lyricism and singing. Music's fantastic. You guys are playing, like, I, I love the guitar parts. I love the drumming. Uh, it's, it's, ah, the bass is neither here nor there. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I just, uh, no, it's all, it just comes together in this sort of really beautiful and compelling sound. Uh, I allude to the fact often on the show about how my family uh, listens to all the stuff I am listening to in preparation for these things. And I'll tell you again, as I've said to Alec Mackay and others, uh, my son uh, is digging on this record a lot, which surprised me because That's I will great. say my uh, biases and my wife's as well. We came up in the, uh, you know, born in the late 70s, both of us, sort of formative time in the 90s. And when I first started to play this record, it's like, this is very 90s. And I'm like, yeah, I, I don't know exactly what that means, but I kind of do. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it seems like you're drawing upon what was probably a formative time for you guys in your adulthood as well to capture and play the way you're playing. Is that a fair assessment, Scott? I think exactly. That's a very fair assessment. I kind of think this record picks up in a way by, in a way, Hot Body Gram as a record kind of expressed, for me anyway, our bands or my frustration with being pigeonholed in this like punk rock only mm-hmm. hardcore scene situation. I wanted to just do weirder stuff when I wanted to play for adults or whatever, you know, I want, and I think that hot bodygram is this kind of record with a lot of tension in it and with great results, which yeah. doesn't always happen, but yeah. it's great results. And I think that in a way, as Alexis was saying, this was a powerful feeling mo- moment for us with this, with the hot bodygram record. And I think a lot of that energy that we had, we brought into this new record. Yeah. There's a little bit of both. There's a. It's kind of like there's some really cool '90s elements as your son picked up yeah. on. I no, too. sorry. It, it's just not, to be clear, my wife picked up oh, on those. My son was oh, not around oh. in the '90s. Uh, born, oh, born, born in like 2011, but but we listened <laughs> to so much different music that I think he was just like, 
this is such a distorted guitar like just like it was a rock band um and some yeah, yeah. these days like it's a just unequivocally a rock band and and these days mm-hmm. even the rock bands that i'm listening to have synthetic aspects or synthesized aspects right. i should say or there's some right. treatment and he was like oh this is just a rock band so every time i press play on the music he's like oh yeah this band oh this is great and he gets right, he cool. sings along to the first couple of songs for sure and uh he's into it as cool. they're they're into it and I haven't heard much from my daughter. Don't take that as any offense. But uh, my son so far that really, really annoyed. <laughs> I will say just to just to uh, just to uh, tout Scott uh, blows uh, whatever um, um, <laughs> that Johnny and I were were really pushing for for doing this stuff, and we were sending tracks back and forth. And then Scott, you know, when we would go back and listen to Hot Bodygram, the guitar playing on that record, I think, is so insane, yeah. so cool. And then to for Scott, I think we felt like when Scott delivered these tracks, it was like he's back, you know, because Scott <laughs> yeah. Scott is a you know he's a, he's a great guitar player and the stuff he does for Girls Against Boys I think is awesome, but it's also a little bit hampered by what he can sing along mm-hmm, with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So with Soulside, he can you know he could do whatever he wanted, and it was yeah. like there's there's a couple of songs where he's like I don't have a part for this, I'm just going to make noise over it, and it's I love it. It's great. It's, <laughs> no, you know? I, for what it's worth, I, Thanks, I, I think it's all very remarkable. So congratulations on it. I I can feel the joy in you know at least four dudes coming together uh, again, and you can hear that mm-hmm. in it. it. I think there's. I don't. I don't know. That's that's my take on it. So I just want to say that without rambling right. too much further. That you know, congratulations and uh, and thank you for for coming back, um, Scott. Can you talk a little bit about uh, future plans? I mean, I know the record is going to be out for uh, as we're speaking. A brief moment in the sun will be out. I believe November eighteenth, twenty twenty two. Yeah, on Discord Records. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, beyond the release, mm-hmm. uh, I see that there's plans for whatever plans are worth these days. There are plans for tour dates and whatnot. Is that correct, Scott? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we're planning right now a run of U.S. dates that will happen in March of next year, 23. I mean, if again, if plans, we'll see what happens yeah. with plans. Yeah. But yeah, U.S. and Europe, we're really committed to the idea of doing everything we can to tour on this album. And again, I think it's in a cool space because it's not really about only trying to make money or something it, it's about like you know i kind of look forward to some situations to bring soul side into that could be a little cantankerous or a little yeah, bit yeah a little bit weird i mean you know we're an older punk band now it's kind of fun to like play around with where we could play mm-hmm. what we could do so we'll do that in the states and then we're going to follow by doing stuff in europe as well where i live now and so we'll we'll do some dates in europe whatever can different things we're planning to tour some we're planning to play together we're planning to really support this record that's great no that's awesome alexis i'm sure it's probably too early to say but does this renewed activity suggest more uh collaboration more songwriting i guess you might see how touring goes and whatnot i'm putting words in your mouth already sorry for this leading question but do you have a sense if everyone might want to keep doing this i mean i would imagine so it's it's just a little tricky to do it but the way we did it before was I mean, it was kind of amazing. I think there's a lot of records that have come out through the pandemic with a lot of artists staying home and Mm -hmm. writing new records. And it's actually one of the amazing things about about it is, uh, you know, when you're a band, your first record is generally your best record. And then your second record is sort of like whatever's left over from your first record. And you throw some new songs in your third record is terrible and so on. So we had the, the we had the joy of like not having that rush of 
you know, you write some songs and you got to follow it up right away. We just sat on these songs for however yeah. many, you know, for a yeah. while, which was great. But I, I would, you know, it was a really great process. It, there was a lot of bonuses to doing it this way, which was that I could spend, you know, a month coming up with a beat instead of making Scott listen to me play drums for a month <laughs> trying to come up with a beat. It's great, you know. And right. smashing um, the cymbals right in my ears. Yeah. Scott. And smashing the cymbals right in Scott's head. <laughs> I also want to say for us that being on Discord is just such a yeah. such a great thing for us because yeah. we love Discord. We've always been super, super psyched to be part of Discord and the fact that they're willing to put out these new records. I mean, they have a rule that if you don't live in DC, you don't you're not on Discord records and they're breaking that for us, which is so great because mm-hmm. we love Discord and it's just phenomenal to be, to to be to feel like we're welcome back just just such a nice feeling. I was recall- I was recalling this with Alec Mackay recently and I kind of from memory and I, I realized after that I could be wrong but from memory I suggested that in the mid to late 90s that rule that you describe started to soften a little bit and that bands not quite in DC one of my favorite bands on uh, discord is Hoover and I think they're from, mm-hmm. I forget where they're from, Virginia or something. Well, sorry, this whole area is a bit weird to me, but I don't think they were, are they from, anyway, it doesn't matter. I was just speculating that the D.C. rule was starting to soften in the mid to late 90s. Am I wrong about that, Alexis? Was I wrong when I said that to Alex? Well, there were, there were some, the scream was from Bailey's Crossroads, so they, they but so they, they were okay because that was sort of like the, the D.C. metropolitan area. But right. then there was uh, Lungfish, which was from Baltimore. Right. They were, they were the big outlier. Okay. You okay. Know. I think so, so but yeah, um I think they <laughs> I think that Discord has to kind of soften their well they don't have to, but they, they kinda of soften the rule because they realize that like a lot of people <laughs> have to move. Yeah, I mean out I, of DC, it's too expensive. I think they have put out records by people who don't completely live in DC anymore. Maybe there are DC expats. Anyway, we don't need to get into this has become a Discord board meeting and I didn't mean to do that. Sorry guys. <laughs> uh no, that's great. I, I just I think it's great that uh uh, Discord is here to support you still and all those sorts of things. Um, and it's a lovely, lovely succession of events, if I may say, that you guys are back and making records right. and all that stuff. Um, Scott, if people want to learn more about Soulside and, and this new record uh, using, you know, the tools we currently have at our disposal, I don't know if Twitter is going to exist by the time we uh, sure. put this episode out, but uh, I will obviously link to as many things as I can to the Discord website. I just wondered if uh, Soulside has its own uh, internet existence that you wanted to direct people to. We have we have uh, Facebook and Instagram, but especially we have Bandcamp, right? Uh, Discord Discord Bandcamp with Soulside. So if you, I think it's uh, Bandcamp Soulside. I think. Okay. Thank you, Alexis. Soulside DC. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah, that's where to go, Alexis. Alexis is the mastermind behind. Oh, that. I'm sorry. Okay, sorry. <laughs> I, I, back to yeah. back to what you were saying about you know the different members of bands. He's also he's back there taking photographs, <laughs> filming things, and, and and he does all the social media. So we don't even know what's happening. I uh, <laughs> yeah. I feel like I have I have benefited personally from Alexis's ardent social media pushes. So thank you. Alexis for liking things and sharing them. I it does mean a lot to me, and uh, thank you for doing that. Okay, so people can figure out Soulside stuff again by those platforms we mentioned, and also, like I say, I will link to various things in the podcast description. If we can go out on a song Great. from this new album, I wonder if uh, you guys can pick one now. Uh, when I have more than one person from a band on, two things happen. One, I ask one person to pick. The second person has veto power. So if they don't like what the other person picked, there's a tiny debate. It goes to a parliamentary review, 
And then we determine what the song is that we're actually going to hear. So I am going to go to Alexis to pick the song. Scott has veto power. Alexis, can you pick a song from the new album and tell us why you chose it? I'm going to go with, um, shoot, what's that song? <laughs> well, I guess I'll go with Times Like These. There's, I have a bunch of favorite songs from this, but Times Like These is a, is a I, I really like the, I like everything about it. I think it's a, it's a cool arrangement. Scott's guitar is great, and Bobby. I really like Bobby's vocals, and of course Johnny. You know he's okay. <laughs> this is the this is the lead the lead the lead track on the album. This is the one that gets my son's uh, uh, heart a racing, his mind a revving. Scott, do you concur with this decision to go with uh, times like these? I was going to veto just to be contrary, yes. but yes. yeah, I will. But I, I will go with it. I think this. I think the song times like these. Even also, this was one of the songs that Bobby actually kind of demanded to be the first song on the record. And I think mm. it's because the way it introduces the record, it kind of sets up the listener for what they might find on this record, which is kind of, this This song has a very hot body grant feeling in a way, because I sing some backup vocals that are kind of different from Bobby's train of, yes. of of things and I like and that kind of thing creates tension and stuff like I think I think it's a perfect song for you know listeners old and new to kind of get the flavor and feeling of what this record's really about through and through would you say Scott that uh, this song is perfect for times like these I would say yeah times like these actually I was thinking like times like these you know the, the title I was okay you know because <laughs> times like these is also a, a lot of there's a bunch of songs in times like these, but we we all know this from publishing that we could have called it Yellow Submarine, basically. Yeah, that's and true. Because you, you can't get rights to a song title, so you can title your song anything you want right. as long as it's the it's the musical part. So we could have called it, you know, Bob O'Reilly, whatever. But right, it's not it's not so much the title; it's just it it's what's in there. It's very it's so hopeful, and then you also have me kind of singing like living in the ether, breathing, and it's kind of like there's a danger to it that that is. So much hot body grab and so much what life feels like now. Yeah. I mean, you could yeah. be positive. You could feel positive and hopeful, but at the same time, we feel like there's a lot of, you know, dragons basically right around the corner, you know, that yeah, we has, fight. You know, it, has a bit, it has a bit, it has an infectious but ominous quality. I would agree. And, uh, right. so I, 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 okay. So we have no veto. We're going to go with it. I was going to say you can dismiss Parliament. Yes. If you want. <laughs> No, we don't need them. Everything's fine. From the excellent new Soulside album, A Brief Moment in the Sun, uh, this is Times Like These, possibly in parentheses, Yellow Submarine. On uh, <laughs> And I, I, I just want to say, uh, Scott, Alexis, thank you so much for making time for me. It's very meaningful to have you on and have you back uh, making music together. So thank you for this. Best of luck with it all. Future endeavors to quote a Savak uh, reference there. I think I did. Right. I, think I just did that, and uh, yep. I, I hope we yep. speak again soon. Thanks so much. Thank you so yeah, much. Thanks a lot. Never seen times like these before. Some with a bore. The kind of wrenches and twists your gut. Twist and shout. The kind, like I said, that some would rebut. Some I've never seen times like these before. 
it's a little tough love No, we all just a little bit smug It's like a gateway drug Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There you go. You got a little taste of the new Soul Side album there. That's the uh, first song, as you heard me say there. The first song, Times Like These, from their new album, A Brief Moment in the Sun. Kind of a noisy ending there. Do you hear that? A little noisy. It's a noisy, interesting record, and I'm so pleased that I got to talk about it a little bit with my guests today, Alexis and Scott from Soulside. Thanks again for appearing on this, the 732nd episode of Creative Control, which is part of the Entertainment One podcast network and is available wherever it is in the world and however in the world you get your podcast. If you can't find an episode that you've heard about and you're looking for it, or if you want to learn more about me, Sign up for my monthly newsletter, which I actually sent out recently. Uh, as, as per the monthly part, I sometimes 
I get behind on things. Anyway, I sent one out. Sorry. Uh, what was I saying? Oh, yeah, you can learn more about all those things at vishkana.com. You can also like Creative Control on Facebook. And uh, if it still exists, you can follow the show on Twitter at Vish Creative, or you can follow me directly on Twitter and on Instagram at vishkana. Also, please visit patreon.com slash creative control to make a flexible monthly donation to support the work that goes on with this podcast. That is the primary source of revenue. That is the revenue that makes me happiest, if I may say. It's not icky like any of this um, minimal advertising that you may hear every once in a while. And it's from the listeners, right? I mean, it's it means a lot to have you donate. Now, $6 American or more a month grants you access to exclusive content, which includes receiving the episodes earlier than everybody else. Uh, it also means you get some bonus content if I spend some time uh, with my guests after we finish uh, the sort of formal, proper interview, if you will. Uh, sometimes I dig into my archives and I find interesting things uh, that uh, uh, from my past uh, preceding this show and all those sorts of things. Anyway, I know some of you don't even care about these frills. You just want to support the show. So I appreciate you doing that. Uh, in return, if you're interested in receiving a Creative Control t-shirt in either the maroon or yellow designs, I still have some. Just message me on Patreon. Again, you can learn more about all of these things at patreon.com slash creative control. Thank you. Thanks again also to the Fine Alberta Record Retailer Blackbird Music with locations in Calgary and Edmonton, Alberta. And you can learn more about them and order things from their website there at blackbird.ca. Also want to thank Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, Ontario, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, Ontario for their in-kind support for this show. Thanks, as always, to my dear friend Jim Guthrie for lending me some music that I can use on the show. You can learn more about Jim at jimguthrie.org. And finally, thank you so much for listening to this episode with Soulside. I hope you'll go to discord.com and... Uh, learn more about their new album A Brief Moment in the Sun thank you for subscribing to this podcast following it, telling your friends about it, all of that helps if you can help spread the word and otherwise just thank you for listening to this, I will talk to you very soon I hope, bye for now Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlingbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.